Father, um, pray that you give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, Father. Open up our hearts to have fertile soil. Father, give us feet to run with obedience. I pray that as, as we go through your scripture today, Father, that something will, um, something will come alive inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. I just wanted to do, since it's the new year, I wanted to do a, just a quick kind of couple sentence review of what's taken place in the book of Acts thus far. So maybe you haven't been with us yet. Maybe you have. So just, you know, a couple sentences uh, for each chapter to help catch you guys up or get your mind thinking where we've been. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, You will receive the Spirit and be my witnesses. He was taken up in a cloud, and the believers cast lots to replace Judas. Acts chapter 2, At Pentecost, they were filled with the Spirit. Peter told the crowd, and he remember he pointed the big finger. What did he say? You crucified Jesus, but God has made him Lord. And then 3,000 people believed that day. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John healed a lame man at the temple. Peter told the people, faith in Jesus has healed this man. Repent of your sins. Acts chapter 4. They were taken before the rulers, Peter, and then Peter and John said, we cannot stop speaking about Jesus. The believers prayed for greater boldness. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira told a lie, and what happened? They were struck dead. An angel released the apostles from prison. Acts chapter 6, the disciples chose seven men to distribute food. Some from the synagogue distributed with Stephen. Um, they took him before the council. They took Stephen before the council. Acts chapter 7. Stephen said, Brothers, God called Abraham and appeared to Moses. You killed the righteous one. They were enraged and they stoned him. Chapter 8. Philip proclaimed Christ in Samaria. A magician offered money for the gift of the Spirit. Philip baptized an Ethiopian official. Chapter 9. Saul went to, um, Saul went to arrest believers. Jesus said, why do you persecute me? Saul was baptized and began preaching. Chapter 10. Cornelius sent for Peter. The Lord said to Peter, do not call them unclean. Peter preached to the Gentiles and the spirit fell. Any of this making sense to any of you guys? You guys remember any of these stories yet? Okay. Chapter 11. Some in Jerusalem criticized Peter. He said, the spirit told me to go. Many in Antioch believed. Barnabas and Saul taught there. Chapter 12. Herod killed James and arrested Peter. The church prayed earnestly. An angel led Peter out of prison. And an angel struck Herod down. 
chapter 13. Peter and Barnabas proclaimed the word. Paul said, God has sent a Savior, Jesus, as he has promised. The Jews stirred up persecution. Many believers at Iconium, um, many believed, sorry, at Iconium. The crowd at Lystra wanted to worship Paul. Then they stoned him. Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch. Chapter 15. Some men taught circumcision for the Gentiles. Peter said, God gave the Spirit with no distinctions. Paul and Barnabas separated. Acts chapter 16. Paul took Timothy with him. We baptized Lydia in uh, Philippi. Paul was imprisoned and there was an earthquake. The jailer was baptized and came to Christ. Acts chapter 17, we're almost there. They taught in Thessalonica and Berea. In Athens, Paul said, I proclaim the God who gives life to all. He will judge the world. Acts chapter 18, Paul taught in Corinth for a year and a half. He went to Ephesus with Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos. Apollos. And now, chapter 19, where we stopped a couple weeks ago, Paul laid his hands on the disciples at, uh, in Ephesus to receive the Holy Spirit. The seven sons of Sceva get humiliated, and Demetrius, a silversmith, started a riot in the city. And here's where we are today, chapter 19 again. There were a few points that I wanted to pull out. And a lot of these points are hard for me because um, it's a lot that I wrestle with. I'm trying to discover what the power of God should look like within my life, within your life, within the body's life, and around the world. And um, we'll get to it, but it's something that I struggle with. So um, we were here several weeks ago, or I kind of have to say it right. We were here last year. <laughs> I have to do that because I have the corniest humor ever. So, um, thank you. <laughs> we learned about the Holy Spirit through the real message of Jesus Christ. We must note that the power of these conversions within the disciples, the power of the Holy Spirit came from true conversion, just not the name of Jesus. It wasn't just repenting from their sins, because that was what John's message was through Apollos, right? The baptism of repentance. So it wasn't just through repentance, but it was also through Jesus Christ. In our lives, in everyone's life, it can't just be turned from your mistakes because not every mistake that you turn from, do you turn from it and then turn to God, right? Some things you turn from and you just turn from it because you wanted to get rid of it, right? So not everything that we turn from, then do we, we then submit it to God. So just because you turn from something doesn't mean that you're in submission to God. It takes repentance plus a life surrender to God to be saved. Amen? That's why 
I believe that Paul was addressing these disciples at this point. So that's where we were um, the first few verses of chapter 19. So here's where we pick up verse 11. Chapter 19, here you go. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs, are you handkerchief or handkerchief? <laughs> so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken uh, to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. That's really, really, really unique. And this is where my struggle starts to take place, is I 100% believe, or the most that I, I can't say 100% because even the disciples had some areas that they had doubts. Every bit of me that I'm aware of believes that the power of God is wanting to manifest within his people every day. How that's to take place, I'm not exactly sure. And it seems like people want to pigeonhole how the Spirit of God is going to work in the believer's life. And what I've learned is I can't pigeonhole it. I just can't do it. So God moved through handkerchiefs, and he delivered through handkerchiefs, and people came to Christ this way, and that's really, really unique. So point number one, if you wanted to take a note, is this, is God invites us to partake in his power, but it's his power. It's God's power at work. And um, now some people, what they like to think is, because we see that Paul, God was doing extraordinary miracles through Paul, and please hear me carefully today because I believe God is at work in the most crazy ways, but I want to stick to what Scripture says here in Acts. So God was doing extraordinary things through Paul, but God was doing it. And how many of you guys have ever been on TV or received something in the mail saying that if you buy this anointed handkerchief, that you'll receive a blessing? Anyone ever seen that on TV? Now, let's just see how humble you are. Has anyone ever bought one? Come on now. We don't have one. All right, then. Um, it'll be second service, right? Second service. They're the ones who bought one. So there's, these been, there's been these people who have presented that, hey, if you buy this or buy that, that the blessing of God will come on you. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God can't bless you that way, right? Because he can. But I'm also not, but what I am specifically probably saying is I do not see here within this context of Acts where the author Luke is writing that he's giving us as believers that authority to start selling handkerchiefs to people with the blessing of God on it, right? So, how many of you want to do something really powerful for God? When you, think, when you think about your life, you say, life has to be a little bit more than what's going on here. And one of the strangest things that I've wrestled with over the past 10 years is 
For me to do something powerful for God, it can't be within myself. I fall completely on my face when it comes to doing anything for God. But Christ in me enables me to go out and be able to do anything. So I've wrestled with the, with the power of God. And, and some of the things I've wrestled for, with is like, I know it comes from God. But is there a specific way that it works? So, so I've searched out what it means to have authority. I've searched out what it means, um, what God's will is within the scriptures. And, um, you know, like when it comes to God's authority, what's really interesting, it's like, well, you can just stand up there and you can yell and you can scream and you can use the power within you and you can cast out anything. It's been taught that way. But most people who've taught it that way, I've asked them, well, like when you've delivered demons... How many have you cast out? Maybe some people are like 100. And I say, so when you were yelling at them, did they come out? No. Have you been successful with everyone that you've cast out? And they say, no. So then I'm starting to wonder, like, if, 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 you, if you were operating in God's authority here, and you stepped into it, and this demon was delivered, and then the next person that you came over to, and you operated in that same authority, and the demon never left, what was the difference? Well, some of them, Scripture says, you have to pray and fast for. Okay, so maybe that was the difference on that. But I'm wrestling with, if, if I truly want to be used by God in a powerful way, not only does surrender have to take place, but what do I need to learn within the Word? So, I've searched the Scriptures. I've read about authority. I've searched out what it means to live in my gifting or in your gifting and I've talked to many sides. And I've learned that there are many rivaled groups within the church when it comes to the idea of the power of God. And often what it comes down to is one group thinking that the other group's theology is not as good. Anyone ever encountered that? Even in here today, some of you are waiting for me to pick a direction. What does he really believe? Well, here's what I really believe that really, 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 really matters is Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. A sin is a sin, that he died on the cross and he rose three days later because he loves us and he desires that no one would perish and that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ rose from the grave three days later, then we can in inherit, inherit eternal life. Amen? Amen? That's what I believe and that's what I'm going to stick to and I'm going to wrestle through what it means to have the power of God present within our community, within our lives, and as individuals. And if, if someone ever tells you that they have the exact answer, that's the moment that you should walk away from their ministry. Because you know what? No one knows it all unless, unless they're God. So if someone tells you they, they, they have all the keys and all the principles walk away from them. But if they say, here's some things that have worked for me, consider, consider hearing from them. Nevertheless, there's these many rival groups. Some say we can name or claim whenever we want to. Others say we have the authority to do whatever we want. Some say the powers died with the apostles. Some say that there's just steps to follow. God's power has become such a mystery to me 
because um, you guys have heard some of the stories of me stepping out and taking risks. So I'll step out in boldness 10 times one week, right? And 10 out of 10 times those week, that week, God's moving powerfully. People are getting healed, people are getting delivered, and miraculous signs are happening. People are getting vacuums at Walmart. Or then the next week happens, right? So 10 out of 10 this week. No, the next week, right? Stepping into the next, next week. No different sin. My heart's still in the same place. Still reading and the daily disciplines are the same. Still confessing and doing whatever. I take the same step with 10 different people and it only happens with one. Why does this happen? These groups, these groups are telling me, these groups are saying, well, just name and claim and, and declare and decree and say it with more authority or, or have more faith. And here's what I've learned. Is the faith that's required to see a miracle or to see the power of God at work is the faith of a mustard seed. And I believe that the first step of a faith of a mustard seed is just asking God. Because you realize every time that you ask someone for something, it means that it's outside of something that you can handle yourself. So when I ask the elders for advice, I'm asking them because I don't know exactly what to do. It's outside of my control. So when I ask Macy for advice, it's the same thing. Macy, I need your help. Please help me. When you ask someone a question, you're looking for their input. Therefore, when we pray, I believe what we're telling God is this is out of my control and only you can do it. So if we have a mustard seed faith to just pray and ask God to do it, I think that's when we're going to see it. I don't know what it necessarily means and I'm willing to do more research to contend for the healing or the blessing or the miracle. Um, but here's one thing. I'm not going to just pray once. If, Scott, you're going, to, if, if you're going through something, I'm not just, just going to come with my mustard seed faith and say, God, I pray for Scott that you would bless him in Jesus' name, amen. No, the next day, if I wake up, I'm going to pray for you again. And then maybe at lunch, I'm going to pray for you again. And then maybe at dinner, I'm going to pray for you again. I'm not going to quit, so maybe I'm contending within that. If it was me that had the power when these things took place, why wasn't it working 10 out of 10 times? There's been people who have tried to teach me that I independently have the power as the son of God. And then that makes me a little God. And I just didn't understand with how 10 out of 10 and then 1 out of 10 if I had the power and nothing changed. Right? So... I believe that it's Christ within me. And what we're seeing here in the scripture is Paul within himself. I'm going to try to bring it back. Paul within himself wasn't the miracle maker. It was God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. God did it. So if, if I want God to do extraordinary things through me, what it's going to require of me is greater submission and honor to him greater availability to him. And then um, to be willing to be obedient. Nevertheless, what I'm learning is God is in control. 
And all I need is faith of a mustard seed. That's it. Sometimes things are not going to turn out the way that I want. And I, I just get frustrated with, well, this should have happened or this should have happened. I'm not the person to say what God already knows is supposed to take place. My heart doesn't have to agree with it, and I still may be mourning it and frustrated and mad at God about it. But he has a bigger picture. And I believe, I'm going to try to show you today, that God had a bigger picture in mind when it came to his power and his use of power. I'm going to try to show that to you. But here's what I know that I ultimately, ultimately, and I encourage you guys to do yourself, is if you want to see the power of God at work in your life, know him. Ask God. Believe God is good and trust God. If you want to see his power at work, that's what you do. You don't need rituals. You don't need, you don't have to pray in tongues. You don't need to go to a special retreat. You don't have to go to um, Mexico or you don't have to go to Africa or Russia to receive an anointing. If you're God's child, God's going to anoint you right where you are if you're surrendering to him. Now, there is an impartation of serving under people. So as Mark teaches me stuff, as just having conversations with him, he doesn't know it, but he's imparting wisdom to me. So I'm receiving a blessing from Mark just as the elders impart wisdom. So conversations that I have, I'm receiving a blessing by the impartation. So what I'm saying is if I went to Africa or if I went to Mexico and sat under a leader for five years, guess what? I'm probably going to receive an impartation of their blessing of the skills and the knowledge of the things that they're good at. Likewise, um, whoever said it, maybe it was Jim Rome, uh, Ron, Ron shared this from the pulpit a couple years ago. He said, you are the sum of the top five people that you hang out with. So, who are the top five people you're hanging out with? Point being, certainly you receive an impartation based upon, or a blessing based upon the people that you hang out with, or the lack of blessing. So ultimately, what we need to do is this, is we need to know God, ask God, believe God is good, and trust Him when things go good and things don't go the way that we wanted. And I think that is what will allow us to be most effective when it comes to the power of God. I've seen, I've seen personally, demons delivered. I've seen legs grow. Um... I've seen random money show up. Prophetic words and dreams come true. And some I have prayed um, and others, I've seen others pray. I've seen it. I've also seen um, people pray, fast, worship, claim, demand, decree, prophesy, and cast out, yet nothing happens. I've seen them both. I just want the real thing. And if I want the real thing, sounds like an R&B song. <laughs> if I want the real thing, I just need to go to the scriptures and add nothing to it and subtract nothing from it and just understand the context of the original audience and what was taking place. So it would not be appropriate for me just to assume based upon Acts chapter 19 that God is specifically saying this to you and I today, right? Because he's not. When God wrote this book, when Luke wrote Acts, Luke 
inspired by God through the Holy Spirit, was writing the book very specifically for that culture and that time. Not you and I today. Though, when we look at the book today, we can get godly wisdom from it. So, nevertheless, what's the difference of when we see things, when we do things one way and it works, and then we do it again the same way and it doesn't work? What's the difference? God has a plan. So when you pray for someone and it doesn't get healed the first time, we keep on praying and we keep on praying and God has a plan. The problem is, is this, is a lot of people just aren't praying. And the person who keeps on praying, they're going to see more healings and more people deliver than those who's not, right? Michael Jordan, or whoever it was, maybe it was Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, but you're going to miss every shot you never shot, right? I think he said a little bit better than that, but you got the point. <laughs> that sounds like a um, Michael Scott quote. <laughs> a Michael Scott, um, Michael Jordan quote. Thanks for those who got that. Um, God has a plan, and that's the difference. The best way to understand Scripture is to understand it through the original audience. Just because Paul did these original miracles doesn't mean he's going to do them through you. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. There is no scenario right here within this scripture that tells me that I can pray for handkerchiefs and that God's going to heal people. Amen? There's also nothing here that says if I prayed for handkerchiefs that he wouldn't. Either way, I think you're getting the point. Though we learn in this scripture about God's character, and all throughout this book, we also learn about his character and how he desires to move through his people. God has a plan to move through his people. And what we see here is that God's plan was to do extraordinary miracles through Paul for a very specific reason. And what we have to realize is when it comes to the power of God, I've been around enough people on both ends. And, um, and if I were to pick a group to be around, those who are really conservative or those who take risks, without a doubt, I'm going to be around the people who take risks more often than not. Because those who are so scared not to take risks and are really conservative about the things that they're praying for and asking their idea of God is just in this box where I, I want to be with this group that's taking greater risks of people that we're praying for so that we can see God at work. Nevertheless, what happens within these groups is the groups that seem to be praying more and um, maybe even seeing more healings is then the lesson that has to be learned is you are not God. And the power is not what you are chasing after, but it's actually the giver of the gift. And sometimes that can be confusing. A lot of times people end up chasing the gift rather than the giver. And then you miss the point. So anything, any power, anything without intimacy with God, without intimacy with the Father is pointless. Anything. Anything that you do in your life without intimacy with the Father is pointless. I don't want to... I don't want to go without you, God. I don't. 
anything without truly knowing God personally is powerless. God was doing a special work through Paul. We have to realize we cannot just think that we can replicate, replicate, <laughs> replicate these wonders simply because. God has a plan, and his plan of redemption or his plan of power might not be the same as yours. I believe that anyone who teaches anything more than mustard seed faith is teaching a works gospel. Though I do believe your mustard seed faith will grow. Either way, we're getting ready to read about this punk rock band, the Seven Sons of Sceva. And what they're getting ready to do is, after one of their heavy metal concerts, this is all fake, <laughs> so I'll just get back to the scripture. What they end up doing is, basically, they want to cast out demons because they see that power is being at work. So they want to cast out some demons, so they try to do that. So let's go to the scripture to see what happens. But what I do want to say is, is I want to preface it this way. If the seven sons of Sceva would have got their way, if they would have cast out this demon, then a bigger miracle wouldn't have taken place. So God had a plan. So what I want to say is sometimes when you pray for someone and they don't, they don't get healed, God might have a bigger plan that you're unaware of. Sometimes when you try to call upon the name of Jesus and someone doesn't get delivered, God might have a bigger plan. And what we're going to see is God has a bigger plan, I believe, here in chapter 19. Verse 13. So some Jews who went out around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say this. this. This is crazy. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, uh, chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped out on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. <laughs> I dare you to try to walk to the White House and say, well, the friend of Donald Trump said I could come here. You have no authority calling upon the name of someone. And these dudes are trying to call upon the, the Jesus that Paul preaches to cast something out? That is crazy to me. Nevertheless, point number two is this. God's power comes from a place of intimacy, not just saying his name. What good is it just to say the name of Jesus with, without you knowing him intimately? If I could call, you know, we always did this thing in youth group to teach God about hearing, or sorry, teach kids about hearing God's voice. And I'd say, close your eyes. So let's just try that right now. Everyone close your eyes. And what I'm going to do is this, is Mark, wants you, Mark Miller, open up your eyes. And when I point at you, Mark, I want you to talk. So, okay, so you guys would all recognize Mark's, Mark's voice, right? And then when I talk, you would recognize my voice. You can open up your eyes. You can distinguish the difference. That 
difference comes from time spent, time sitting under, being around, having intimacy with. You can't just call upon Jesus in the sense of casting something out or operating in his power when your heart's just running from him. That's two different worlds, right? Now, could you just call upon the call upon the name of Jesus without knowing him ever before and say, Jesus, I need you. I don't know you, but I know I have to. Forgive me of my sins and him answer, yes. But just calling upon the Jesus just because you want a miracle power to see demons um, delivered isn't going to happen. Nevertheless, these brothers seemed to, um, they wanted to see the power of God, not know God. I had um, some youth leaders when we served in Piqua. So these were college-age kids who were serving the youth group. And they came up to me one day and they said, Joey, we heard about these demons that are in this house. Um, do you want to go to it with us? And I said, why? Well, it'll be fun to cast them out. I said, I'm not going. It's not worth it to pick fights. I said, you know what scripture says, though, is you better be known by God if you're going out there to pick fights, and you better have God's purpose with you as well. Going somewhere just to do something in your name and not God's name is also a dangerous place to be. These men right here, this rock band, was not going in Jesus' name, being sent by Jesus' name, right? They were not sent by God to do this. They were doing it because they wanted to do it. And their desire did not come from God. It was just to see a power at work. So they were more interested in the power than they were God. So they ended up trying to cast these demons out in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches about. Paul didn't carry this authority to cast out demons because he was a deity himself. He carried the authority because he was a son of God. Because God was living in him. He carried authority because God was working through him. The miracles that happened in Paul's life was never meant to point to Paul. Rather, it was supposed to point to Jesus. These men were trying to cast out demons and point to themselves. These brothers lacked what Paul had, the backing of Jesus. They didn't carry the authority of God. And we don't walk in the authority of God by just saying his name. We walk in the authority of God by authentically knowing him, by authentically loving him, and then by doing what he asks. I want the backing of Jesus when I fight my battles. You guys, you guys want the backing of Jesus? So in the big picture, if if. I never read this scripture before, and it was the first time that I ever read it. Here's what I would be thinking. Um, I, I would say something along the lines of, now wait a second. Wouldn't these brothers, wouldn't they have come to Christ if they went and cast out the demons and saw them cast out? Like, it would be like, well, if they saw a miracle, then surely they would have come to Christ and it would have worked out. God, why didn't you let these boys cast out these demons? Because then they would have seen your power, and if they saw your power, then they would know your power, and then they would repent of their sins. 
Do you think any of your thoughts could maybe go there too? Because there's always this cliche statement that, and maybe it's not cliche, it's real because I say it too, but only if I saw the power of God at work, then I would believe it too. Anyone ever thought that? If I saw the power of God at work the same way that they did. But that assumption is not true. There's this assumption that if we saw God's power, then we believe. So why wouldn't God just deliver this man? Because it would work together for, for God's good. And I think one thing that I believe we get wrong often is assuming what God is up to and how he's going to do it. Now, we know what he's up to. He's, we know he's out to save the world. We know he's out to redeem us and help us walk in a relationship with him and further his kingdom. We know he's up to that. But how he's doing that through people and through situations, we're kind of clueless. Um, it's, it's usually, here's my second cliche, 2020, that we have to look back and see things and how God was at work. We don't especially know um, when it comes to his power. He heals one, but yet another dies. And people say, well, we should have kept on praying for this person so that they didn't die. And then I would ask this question, when does the healing stop? Okay, fine. They were 70 years old. We prayed for them. They lived another 30 years. And the family's still sad. So we pray for them again. And they live another 30 years. And now they've broken the 120 promise in scripture so now they're 130 now what now they don't even know any of their family because they can't hear they can't see and you just have these they're y'all people the church is complaining about the welfare that they're living off of and we're paying for the health care of these people and then i have to minister to you people to love your neighbor as you love yourself and the early church gave everything that they they had to help and then now they're 150 years old. When does the healing stop? Why do I think that I possess what's right or wrong in that person's life? What's bringing honor to God? I can't. But what I can say is, God, this doesn't make sense to me. And I would love if you would heal this person because I love them dearly. But I trust you. Either way, God heals one and another dies. Did you have enough faith to heal one and not the other? No, you came with the same faith. Did God love one and not the other? No, God loved all of us. I believe it's God has a plan. And I have to be okay with God's plan. And as humans, we don't see the big picture. And right now, to this point of the story, you have some people interested in the power of God and trying to use it, but significantly fell short. Yet if they could simply summon the power of God, one man would have been delivered. And many would have missed out on God's saving power. They didn't know God nor his plan. They wanted to be little gods. What is God first concerned with? Someone being saved or someone being healed? Someone being saved or someone being delivered? Well, if you looked at Mark chapter 2, the story of the paralytic, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven before he healed him. And then guess what Jesus did after that? Then he healed him. So I believe he's first concerned with 
what happens with us if we die and when we die. And then for those groups, it's like God's also numbered our days. We're not going to get into predestination, but God's also numbered our days according to Scripture. So if he's numbered our days, I very cautiously say this, maybe we're invincible until our day's up. Maybe he's going to protect us and guide us, and then one day he's going to choose to take us. I don't know. You can hear my wrestling. And, and I don't want to offend the conservative group, and I don't want to f- offend the freaks, because I told you where I'm at. I'm over here by the freaks. That's where I resonate. Let's take risk. Let's see God at work. Let's see his power. Nevertheless, we're going to wrap it up right here. Point three. You've heard me say it several times. God has a plan. God has a plan in your life. God has a plan in your situation. God has a plan for this church. God has a plan for our communities that we represent. God has a plan in your family. God has a plan. I have to trust it. And we're going to see God's plan or what he made come to fruition here in this um, this section of the scripture. So verse 17. When this became known, the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came in, came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Depending on the coin, based upon some research, I saw where this 50,000 represented 1.5 million or 5.5 million. So the easiest way to say that is over a million dollars of sorcery books and one, two, three, four steps were brought in and they were burned. Amen? That's awesome. In this way, the, uh, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The Greeks were seized with fear because a demon beat up the, their favorite band, the seven sons of Sceva. They came out naked and bruised and bloody. So that seized, I mean, people were just freaking out with fear. And when fear takes place within our lives, we have one to two things to do. Dig our feet in or submit to God. And because of this, what ended up happening is many people come to know Christ. So what I was thinking about is, after they woke up, like, this fear woke them up, right? Fear wakes you up. When I was in a car accident, that woke me up. When I had the mass in my ankle, and they thought it could have been uh, cancer, that woke me up. When I had blood in my urine for two weeks, that woke me up. And it's what happens when God humbles us and gets us to a place of humility and shakes us up, then what are you going to do with it? And what they did with it, the town here, the believers here, what they said is, you know what, you're right. I didn't need this stuff anyways. I'm repenting, I'm turning from, I'm getting rid of all these things. So they ended up taking that moment where they encountered fear 
and then they turn to God. Sometimes I think um, it takes something, well, no, not sometimes. It's going to take something to shake up our nation, right? Our nation needs shook up. And instead of me pointing the finger at my nation, how about I point the finger at myself? I need shook up. Because if I leave church today, and I'm speaking to myself, if I leave church today and not surrender more to God and not be hungrier for him and be willing to get rid of things in my life, then I'm no better than the person I'm pointing the finger at. So when I say our nation needs shook up, that starts here today at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship. God, whatever it takes, if there's going to be fear in my life that's going to require me to get rid of the things that really matter to me of such value. See, there's things in our lives today that are of a lot of value to us as individuals, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, our sins. Things that we're unwilling, our reputations, our desires. There's things that we're holding on to that we won't let go of. And it's like, God, if it's going to require fear to shake me up, then do it. Because I'm usually not smart enough to quit, but I am smart enough to tell God to do whatever it takes to make me quit. Will you allow God and give God that permission to say, God, whatever it is to wake me up, whatever it is to shake me up, I know that you're worth it and I want to serve you and I'll get rid of anything that you ask. We have to confess our mess. We have to turn from our past. We have to burn everything that was bad. See, God had a plan here. And by allowing these brothers who thought that they could call upon the name of Jesus without knowing him to be humiliated, it allowed for a town of people to come to know Christ and to give up millions. Amen? God has a plan. And when things don't turn out the way that you think they're going or that they should, God has a plan. God had a plan here. So the description, as we leave here, the description today is God does powerful things through Paul to bring glory to Jesus' name and to further his kingdom. The seven sons of Sceva get beat up by a demon and out of fear many people come to Christ. We don't talk about the fear of God enough. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. If you've... <laughs> this is free here, not in my notes. Australia is on fire. Earthquakes happening everywhere. Natural disasters, hurricanes, floods, rain. All over the place. And we just seem to be numb to it. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. And, and the scripture says this, you'll know that it's the time Though Jesus won't tell anyone specifically, or God won't tell anyone specifically, not even the Son knows. But Scripture says, you know that the time is near because there's going to be earthquakes and famines, natural disasters taking place, like birthing pains. And the closer I am to my return, the more frequent they're going to be. 
You can tell that our nation is asleep because we see more natural disasters taking place and we don't even care about it. We might as well be the people who see the natural disaster take place and then go home and open up the sorcery book. Where is the fear of the Lord? The things are taking place and we're missing it all. And you know what? That's not on my brother. That's not on my sister. That's not on my dad. Not on my mom. Not on my friends. That's on me. You get to choose what you do when you go home today. And that can either you be bowing your knee before God or you living into your flesh. I ask that God shakes me and wakes me up even more because I know that there's more that I have to give. Not out of works, but there's more that I have to surrender to him. That he, he, he wants to bring more purification and, and more unity and more intimacy between him or him and I. God wants more intimacy with you today. God doesn't want you running and have a hard heart anymore. He wants you to experience the deep end of joy. What's the prescription? Trust God even when things do not turn out the way that you wanted. Trust that God is at work. Don't give up praying for anyone or anything but have God's agenda, not yours. And then the next one, be willing to give up whatever you're holding on to. Will you give that up today? So what I'm going to say is this, is if you have something that you need to give up today, um, nothing special about it, but just as before, before the church and before God, if there's things that you're holding on to, just like the whole town in this scripture brought their sorcery books, once I'm finished praying, what I want you to do is just come up here to the altar and say, God, I'm giving you this. And then you can leave. It doesn't need to be long. It doesn't need to be drawn out. Just symbolically, God, I got this mess that I'm holding on to. I give it to you. Will you symbolically do that today before you leave? You don't have to. I'm asking that you would. So then just go over the points and then we're going to pray and then you can symbolically give God whatever you're holding on to. Number one, God invites us to partake in his power, but it's his power. Number two, God's power comes from a place of intimacy, not just saying his name. And point number three, God has a plan. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us understand your power and that we would see your power at place every day within our life. May you give us the boldness to step out and utilize that power, Father, but help us understand it. Help us walk in it. Help us see it. I pray that you would help us give to you the things that we're holding on to, Father, that are keeping you from being number one. In Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget about the marriage class. Don't forget about um, church directory stuff.